Well, good morning. Oh, sorry, I heard it coming in from behind me. Can you guys hear me? All right, there we go. There we. I, I always I need the honks to know that I'm that you guys can hear me. Y'all, it's cold this morning. Uh, this wind coming in. Um, I'm Trevor Burrow. I am the associate pastor uh, here at Tulane Baptist Church. If this is your first time uh, driving up with us, welcome home. I'm happy to have you. I'm excited to worship with you guys this morning. Uh, before I, I give you guys our couple of announcements, I just wanted to say, can they can they not hear me? Are we good? They're saying yeah. They're good. They're good. You guys can hear me, right? Okay. Okay. All right. Sorry, don't me Okay. Good. Uh, before we get into the announcements, I just wanted to say, uh, on behalf of Laura and myself, thank you guys so much for the the shower, uh, the baby shower you gave us last weekend. We feel so blessed by that. Uh, this church is always so kind and gracious to us. Uh, it's not something that, that we will ever forget. Uh, and it's a great example of Christ for us to, to live out uh, to you guys as well. So thank you for that. Uh, we, it really means a lot to us. A uh, couple of announcements. I wanted to let you guys know about the service changes uh, that are coming up starting next Sunday uh, on February 21st. Uh, we are going to move the drive-up service back to 8.30 a.m. Uh, so uh, if you want to drive up, that's going to be back at 8.30 a.m., okay? Uh, so you can plan for that. Then at uh, 10 o'clock a.m., we are going to have a service in the sanctuary here. Uh, and so the way we're going to do this is we're going to do it with masks. So if you want to come to that, uh, we're asking everyone to wear masks, and we're going to do it at half capacity. Uh, so what's going to happen is when the sanctuary gets to half capacity, uh, we're going to do overflow here in the multi-purpose room. And the way it's going to work is we'll have tables set out for you guys to sit at if you're in overflow. We're going to live stream the service. Uh, we'll video it live stream on YouTube from the sanctuary and project it onto the screen uh, in here so you guys can can watch live what's happening over here. Uh, we'll also have someone, probably John Braswell or someone to, to lead music over here for us uh, to help us sing along. Um, so that's what's going to happen. Uh, that's starting next Sunday, uh, 8.30 a.m. drive up, 10 o'clock uh, service in the sanctuary, overflow here in the multi-purpose room. Um, we'll also be starting children's church back. So if you have your kids with you, uh, bring them with you. We'll do children's church in the education building. Uh, we'll also have nursery and preschool available uh, uh, back to normal in that way too. So bring the kids and, and come on. And I'm looking forward to getting back and uh, moving towards uh, some normalcy uh, with, with you guys as a church family. Uh, next announcement, we still have directories for you guys after the service. Uh, Donna is going to be under the awning there. If you want to drive by, she'll hand one, hand one to you. We're asking for $5 uh, a directory. If you don't have the $5 today, don't worry about it. Still, still take one, uh, and you can get the $5 to us whenever. It's more important that you guys have the directory uh, than we have the $5. Uh, so take one and, and have that contact for people in the congregation uh, and then one last thing, I wanted to remind you guys about the spiritual activity uh, that we're doing together this week. Uh, if you were able to see the pastor show, you know it. Uh, if, if not, what we're doing, we're going to be memorizing Psalm chapter 5, uh, verses 7 and 8. So Psalm 5, verses 7 and 8, uh, we're going to be memorizing that this week. So I, I'm looking forward to uh, memorizing that. It's a great couple of verses uh, that Jordan shared with us in the pastor show. So I hope you guys are able to do that with us and we can do it uh, as a church. Uh, now Jordan is going to introduce some new members to you guys.
Am I? I'm not introducing myself to you, but with all of the deacon things going on, there we go. Yeah, come on, y'all. <laughs> with deacon nomination and ordination and all such going on, come on, Gail, come on, Roy. I, uh, I forgot to check and make sure you guys were walking up here. Uh, y'all, it's my uh, joy and honor to get to introduce for you today uh, Roy and Gail Wright. They've gone through all the steps for membership. They've met with me. They've heard the prospective member class spiel, and uh, they would like to join our church. Right there's great. <laughs> they would like to join our church. Uh, and so, congregation, if you will receive Roy and Gail Wright as members, please honk your horn. I know, right? It's overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> Donna's got a photo of him. We'll go out, and uh, you guys can go back to your car now before you yo, get one without masks. <laughs> Their contact information will be in the newsletter. Congregation, y'all reach out to Roy and Gail and wait, make them feel welcome. I want to I do what Trevor was doing and just ask for mic checks repeatedly uh, and continue. Oh, there you are. <laughs> and putting off. Scoot up, uh, scoot up here a little bit so everyone can see. We have uh, been putting off deacon ordination and installation for a few weeks now because it's been raining. Uh, guess what? It rains every Sunday uh, here in South Carolina, so we're going to continue on uh, anyway this morning. As a quick refresher, we're installing three new deacons, but to understand what deacons mean in our congregation in brief, it's this. Our congregation is ruled by Christ. It is governed by the saints. It is led by the pastors, and it is served by the deacons. Now, the deacons serve in several ways. First, as peacemakers. They are ministers of peace within the congregation. Second, they are to be the front line in evangelism for the congregation. Third, they serve by giving wisdom and advice to the pastors. Fourth, they serve by caring for the congregation. And fifth, they serve by providing accountability if it's needed for the pastors. The congregation votes on three new deacons each year, and they serve each deacon for a three-year term, giving the congregation nine deacons serving in the elected capacity at any given time. We would like to thank our two deacons that are rotating off, that is, Gary Miller and Joe Hamilton. Congregation, if you would thank Gary and Joe at this time. And now I'd like to introduce to you are three new deacons that you have voted on. First, Jerry Webb. Jerry has previously served both as a deacon and as a co-chairman in the past here at this church. Second, Grant Summerford. Grant has served as a deacon at another church, though this will be his first time serving here. And finally, Chad Cooper, who has not yet served as a deacon before, and so we will provide ordination for Chad this morning. For ordination, Chad, I'm going to read the requirements of deacons from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy of money, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 
they must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, they can serve as deacons. Their wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household competently. For those who serve well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves, boldness and the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Chad, these are the qualifications of being a deacon. Do you meet them? Yes. And do you understand that the qualifications to be expected of you all the years you serve as a deacon, and even when you're not serving as a deacon actively? Yes, I do. Excellent. Then are you willing to serve in this manner as the congregation has requested you to? Well then, together congregation, join me as I lay a hand on Chad. Father God, I thank you so much for this man. I thank you for our friendship and our ability to worship you together as members of this congregation. I thank you for the congregation's uh, wisdom uh, in his ordination. Father, I pray that you'd put your spirit on him to help him to serve faithfully and joyfully, to hold on to the mysteries of the faith completely and wholly all the days of his life. I pray for your blessing on his family as well, that you would provide for them, protect them in all things. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation, please welcome our new deacons. I'm glad you guys have a little choir going on together there. Whew. I had to switch to my preaching jacket to uh, warm up. Our passage in scripture today is Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, picking up right where we left off last Sunday. In verse 4, what's happening is that guided by the Holy Spirit, through prayer and fasting, the congregation in Antioch heard the Holy Spirit telling them that they were to send off Paul and Barnabas for missionary work. So they do. They lay hands on him, they bless them, and they send them off for missionary work. In our passage today, we read about their first encounter. Because leaving Antioch, the very first place that they go to is the island of Cyprus. They sail out in the Mediterranean, about 150 miles, to this island and begin spreading the gospel and starting more churches there. Let's pray together and let's read. Father God, teach us so that we can know you better and obey you better. As I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 13.4 Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Pallas, an intelligent man. And this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, and that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he stared straight at Elymas, and he said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You son of the devil and enemy of all that is right. 
won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now, look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind, and you will not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist, a darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed, because he was astonished at the teachings of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord for us. The first proclamation from Paul and Barnabas is on the island of Cyprus. Uh, You can go to Cyprus today. It's still there. It's an island maybe three times the size of Aiken County. Not enormous, but big enough to have a thriving community and to be a nation of its own. Paul and Barnabas go here led by God. And after this, as we will read in the next few weeks, they go back into Asia Minor on the mainland and continue the same way that they set off preaching the gospel every place that they can. And they follow this pattern. They always start with the Jewish synagogues. Just like this passage says, they went to the entire island, but they start with the synagogues because the people who are gathered in the synagogues, those Jewish people there, know the Old Testament, they know the prophecies, they know what they're expecting, and they have the starting place for understanding the message uh, that Paul and Barnabas are going to be preaching starting with the synagogues, but then continuing on to everyone. They share the gospel across the entire island. And in doing so, they gather the attention of the local proconsul. Now, the proconsul is essentially like a governor. He's the highest Roman authority there in the land. So the governor of the entire island nation summons them and wants to hear the gospel. Scripture says of him that he was an intelligent man, And he wanted to hear the word of God. But he had along with him this false Jewish prophet. This person who was a magical practitioner. Who tried to do all sorts of telling the future and curing diseases or putting curses on other people. Advising uh, the consul in this way. This person's name was Bar-Jesus or Elimus. He's called both names in this passage. Elimus being a title. And he sees that the gospel threatens the authority he has gained as the chief advisor to this governor. So he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. So he tries to turn the governor away from the gospel. He preaches to him a separate message and says what Paul and Barnabas are sharing is not true. That this Jesus is not the Messiah. So Paul, rightly angry, casts judgment on this person who is taking the straight path and making it crooked, who is introducing lies to try and combat the truth. Paul looks at him and says, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You are a son of the devil and you are an enemy of everything that is right. How long will you continue to make the straight path crooked? And then Paul calls down a curse on him, a real one that's effective. And this Elimus is blinded for some time. We don't hear about him again. But we know this is a temporary judgment from the way Paul talks about it. That for some time now, so that everyone knows what is true, in the midst of a bunch of lies, a bunch of spin that is being done to try and convince people away from the gospel, the truth is proclaimed boldly and with a miracle. So it is very clear what's true and what's not true. 
And the result of this is not just that people in the synagogues and other people across the island, but even the governor of this island come to trust Jesus Christ as Lord. What are we to take from this passage? First of all, we're to understand that Christ is for all people. There's this long-time myth that's been going on, hundreds of years now, where critics of Christianity have said that Christianity was just this poor people's religion. It was just all these poor people who felt oppressed and found out that God would care about them even if the people who were in power over them didn't care about them. And so Christianity was mocked as a religion of slaves and women, is what it was called, even early on. But that's not true if you actually read the account here. From the very beginning, there were all kinds of different people who put their trust in Jesus Christ. There were people who were ethnically Jewish and were raised in the Jewish faith. There were God-fearers, that is, non-Jewish people who still understood and hoped that that was the true God who was going to send a Messiah and that they might be included, as the Old Testament said that they would be. There were Gentiles who knew nothing of Jewish traditions. There were the very poor in the islands who put their trust in God. There were the exceptional, exceptionally wealthy, the powerless, and as we read here, the most powerful person on the island, the governor himself, puts his trust in Jesus Christ. And this is the very first stop on the very first missionary journey that Paul goes on in the books of Acts. It's true that it is easy sometimes for a person who has been disenfranchised, disempowered, cast out from society to appreciate the gospel in an easier way, to hear that God cares about them and has good for them and is going to bring justice for all those who have no justice in their life. But it's not true that Christianity is just for one kind of person or another. As you read the gospel, as you read Acts especially, you see that there are governors who put their trust in Christ. Even earlier in this chapter, our last sermon, one of those early believers in Antioch was called a best friend of Herod, the ruler of that area. By the time you get to Acts chapter 16, you're going to see that the church is meeting in the house of a woman named Lydia. Lydia, aside from also being a woman, is also the richest person in town because she's a prosperous uh, dye merchant, a wool merchant, and a person who dyes clothes, and she's built up a thriving business, and she has the biggest house in town, and so she welcomes the church in to use all of her space. From the very beginning, there are all kinds of different people who put their trust in Christ, and all are welcome to Christ, and so it continues on today and must be at our church. Diversity is a goal for us because we receive everyone because Christ died for everyone. And so, dear church, if we're going out and knocking on doors, there's no door that we skip over. (laughs) There's no neighborhood that we intentionally miss. But we go to everyone. And although diversity is important to us, we also recognize that we already have within our congregation, if you look around and consider carefully, a wide kind of socioeconomic diversity. Gathered here today, we have all kinds of people. We are from all over the place, and yet we found our way here. We've worked all kinds of different jobs. We have all sorts of different amounts of wealth or not. And yet here we are, 
on this one standard that Jesus Christ is Lord and that each of us wears the righteousness of Christ and has the forgiveness of God. This is what unifies us. Recently, there was an illustration of a church doing this very wrong. The church was Hillsong, New York City, Hillsong, NYC. Hillsong is a denomination or a group of churches, however they categorize themselves. It started in Australia. You might have heard the name and heard the music. They put out a lot of great worship songs. But specifically, their Hillsong, New York campus or church it had this long-time practice of taking the front section and reserving it as a VIP section and then bringing in all sorts of celebrities. There were people who perhaps came to Christ, at least came to worship in this church, like Justin Bieber, Kevin Durant, the basketball star, who were courted and wooed and the gospel was shared with them and they were invited in and then they were brought down to sit down front in a VIP section that you could get into if you were the rest of the congregation members. Other people gathered could sit behind and see that this was a celebrity church and that they, those celebrities, had access backstage. I'm not making any of this up. It sounds crazy to us, right? Yet up until recently, when the pastor was forced to resign over immorality, this was all brought to light and exposed. And I say to you today, congregation, it should not be. But everyone is welcomed here equally and completely because it is only on the grace of God that we stand. So our first application is this. Everyone is welcome. If you're a guest here today, you're welcome, regardless of your background or your position. Second, we must likewise share the gospel with the whole island. We can go to specific strategic targets first, schools, our communities, what neighborhoods are right around us. But we must, as a church, likewise go to our entire island. You can count that however you want to. Is it your street? Well, then make sure they all hear. Is it your neighborhood? For us as a church, what, a five-mile radius, a ten-mile radius? How many people do we think of as the ones who are around us who need to hear the gospel? We can't skip over a door or a household. We must proclaim to all of them. It'll be up to them whether they believe. But for our part, we will go just like Paul and Barnabas and proclaim to everyone that Jesus Christ has died for their sins and he would accept them as well if they would come to him as Lord and Savior. Second, what we read here is that what this sorcerer is doing wrong is that he is taking the straight path of the Lord and he is making it crooked. Specifically, he is lying about who God is in order to gain followers for himself and his religion. This is awful. This is wrong. Paul's rebuke, calling him a son of the devil, is accurate. And Paul's judgment is correct, demonstrated by God, not Paul, but God, blinding this man, bringing a temporary judgment on him so it is clear to him and everyone else what the truth is. I recently read uh, this week a story one of my theology professors, Malcolm Yarnell, shared, and here's what he says. He says, my neighbors used to send the Mormon missionaries to my door to deal with. Go visit him. He likes to talk about the Bible, they'd say. And afterwards, the neighbors would often ask me how things went. 
There were two young men one day that intrigued me. I explained to them that the Jesus of Scripture is the only Son of God and there are no other sons of God. They waved that away and they asserted again that they agreed with me. Could they come inside and start a Bible study? And again, one said to me, I believe the same Jesus as you. And I explained to them, no, you don't believe the same Jesus I do. And you know that we disagree over the unique deity of God and his only begotten son. Yet you seek to tell me otherwise. Now at this point, I had had enough. And I said, you are lying and you know it. Moreover, Malcolm says, I explained to them, any God that would encourage you to lie in order to evangelize is not the true God. He is a false God. The devil is the father of lies. At this point, they became silent, and I began to plead earnestly with them to turn to the God of truth and love. The younger Mormon missionary was especially earnest about what he was hearing, and he began to ask questions, but the older missionary became fidgety. Finally, as the younger man was soaking in the gospel and reflecting on the God of truth, the horrific occurred. After being told repeatedly to be patient, the older Mormon missionary physically grabbed the younger one and started to drag him away. He allowed himself to be pulled away as if he had been trained not to resist. But I still remember his eyes. He looked at me with pain and pleading. And I told him he must call upon Jesus as Lord. I have long prayed for that young Mormon that he acted on what his heart was telling him was the truth. And the truth is this, any so-called God who would demand that you lie in order to win others to faith in him is a false God. But Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No person comes to God except through this Jesus. If there is a pastor or missionary who claims that he has the truth, but he has asked you to live a lie, then you must confront him with the truth and call him to repentance. Brothers, we deal in the truth and not lies. If you are a, treat, a teacher who displays an obvious lack of integrity, it is a good indicator that you would do well to repent now. God holds us who teach in his name to a frighteningly high standard. It's a powerful message from Malcolm. Everything is difficult right now. And there's so much lies going around in the world. I do well to remember, to remind you that this is not new. There have always been lies since the very beginning, since the garden. There continue to be things that are false, that would demand our allegiance and our attention. But we worship the God of truth. And in Christ, we find the truth we need to move forward. Dear congregation, do not make the straight paths crooked. The call of God through the prophet Isaiah for all of us is this. Build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. God calls to Isaiah and he calls to us and says, remove the obstacles out of the way of people. Make the road straight. Tell them the truth so that they can come and trust. The truth is as simple as this. God has been patient because he loves you and has good plan for you. You must come and put your trust in him. We have all been on the wrong side of the truth. 
We have all believed the lie and followed the king of lies. But not anymore. He will receive today anyone who puts their trust in him. We are cautioned ourselves, not just against false teachers, but to ourselves not do what is wrong. Another professor of mine said this week that the Bible offers a vision of the world in which right and wrong are far more important than success or failure. Let's not get so caught up in trying to be successful that we abandon what is right. Because what is right and wrong is always more important in Scripture than success and failure. Because after, after all, failure is already, or success, success has already been achieved by Christ. You might have heard with grieving this week that the prominent evangelist and apologist, Ravi Zacharias, who died this past year, has come under scrutiny as his own organization hired investigators to look into his lifestyle after there had been accusations that he had been using ministry money inappropriately and sexually abusing women. And this third-party investigation company came out this week and announced that it was absolutely and overwhelmingly true that they found on his phone thousands of photos that he had solicited from women that were inappropriate that he had all kinds of inappropriate relationships, that he'd used ministry money to open spas, to hire uh, massage therapists to do inappropriate things with him. It's a grievous announcement. Let us be clear about the judgment that goes on here of this false sorcerer. He is struck with judgment immediately, and judgment is serious and will come for anyone who takes the straight path of the Lord and makes it crooked to steer people away from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it must not be us. If you are a parent to children, do not make the straight ways of the Lord crooked for your children. If you are a teacher, Sunday school class, if you are a deacon or a ministry leader, do not take the straight path of the Lord and make it crooked for other people. God is serious about grace and love, but judgment is serious as well. Do not take the straight paths of the Lord and make them crooked. Finally today, a rebuke. But a rebuke with hope. Do you see that even this sorcerer who is doing evil and trying to turn people away from God receives judgment, but he receives judgment with hope. The judgment he receives, this blindness, is not going to endure forever. It is only going to be for a time so that even he, this false sorcerer, can have a moment, a time, in order to repent himself. And don't you know that this rebuke even comes from the Apostle Paul, who just like that sorcerer was at one time arresting Christians, standing there when the first deacon Stephen was stoned to death, was doing all kinds of evil until God struck him with a blindness to open his eyes and bring him to trust in Christ? Even the judgment of God in this situation is a grace. Because the judgment that is deserved is death. But God holds off on that judgment to give an opportunity 
for grace. Because God's desire is that all people would receive grace. Don't you know that the prophet Jonah, the book of Jonah that's about the prophet, is really all about the patience of God? Jonah is called to go and proclaim that God's judgment is coming against a foreign nation, the people of Nineveh, an evil town. But the message that Jonah is supposed to proclaim is that they should repent now so they could avoid the judgment. Jonah doesn't want to go. God brings a judgment on Jonah. But when Jonah repents, God sends salvation to him in the form of a whale. God is patient with Jonah, even as a sinner. And then when Jonah goes to the town of Nineveh, he goes through the entire town and he doesn't want any of them to believe or be saved. He hates all these foreigners. And he goes into their town and he just yells out, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. That's the gospel of Jonah. 40 days, God's going to destroy you all. But every single one in town, from the king on down to the least person, repents completely and wholly. They declare a fast, they lay in the dust, and they cry out to God, and so God spares them. This is the patience and love of God. Jonah goes and sits up on a mountainside overlooking the town, waiting for judgment. He wants to watch the show. And then Jonah is furious when they are all saved because they repent. And Jonah says, let me die now because I didn't get to see their judgment. And God is patient even with Jonah. Listen, God is serious about the judgment of sin because God is serious about judgment. God is serious about justice. But all the more, God desires salvation. Let us make the straight path straight. Let us remove the obstacles out of way of people so they can trust. Let us remove the sin out of our own lives so that we don't block the paths of others coming to Christ. And let us remove all lies and falsehood of any kind from our lives. When you go to stand in judgment before Christ someday, He's not going to measure you as if you were successful or a failure as we count success. He's going to measure whether or not you believed and you remained faithful, obedient and trusting Him your entire lives or not. Dear friends and congregation, let us be found faithful on that day. Father God, teach us to be like Paul and Barnabas, to be strategic, to go to the entire island and proclaim to everyone that Jesus Christ is their King too. Point out to us and rebuke each of us where there have been lies and falsehood in our lives and let us remove all of it. Help us to always make the way of Christ straight and easy for all to come and follow. And this I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.